0: Try to cure my covid blues with a little bit of tea and a i got a lap dance from a woman in black pantyhose and now i'm getting a swab shoved up my nose i got a contact trace from the brass rail
1: and welcome to another episode of the existentialist cucumber and my name's larry woo
0: i'm curtis withers uh larry happy halloween how was uh how how was the uh how was it for uh for visitors? Did you have a lot of kids come by or?
1: Um, for the most part, every year we we tend not to get too many kids because we're at the end of a block, um, and kids don't like to double back. Despite all the things I put out on my lawn and kind of say, "Hey, candy here," um, so I busted out the. Pro mashup costume, as I mentioned. I went out as Dr. Deadpool. I uh, put a little table up for a candy f- with the pumpkin. And, oh, this year, my pumpkin. I uh, decided to carve something a bit more contemporary this year. So I did uh, an Among Us-themed pumpkin. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's basically post-kill. Um, um still shot figured that was happy suitable for halloween rather than just doing a worker so it's got one worker standing next to the decapitated one with the little bones sticking out of their system and um the neighbors got a really good kick out of it uh and uh you know figured hey why not do something a little contemporary i did have some guy wander walking his dog and he uh, noticed the pumpkin and gave me comments about it <laughs> and uh yeah I basically told him well, you know I wanted to do something contemporary if you will
0: <laughs> um, but uh what about yourselves? what did you and uh, Heather do? Well, we just um had a couple of po- a couple of uh, jack-o'-lanterns outside we just had a bowl out on the out sort of on the porch and you know like a help yourself kind of thing and while we were watching TV we just had like the the door open just the screen door uh, closed so that we could see like the kids come by and get them. And, uh, you know, uh, we actually had, we did, we don't get a ton on the best of years. So we actually had probably more than I thought they were going to be. It's okay. Like the first hour or so, nobody came and I was like, we're going to have to eat so much candy and uh then, that's a good problem to have. then we got like a, a like a decent stream yeah I mean, it was cute some of the kids would wave to us you know because we were waving at them some of them would just ignore us and take the candy and go so did you realize how creepy
1: you two were by just sitting putting two chairs and sitting in front of the porch or maybe kind of peering out and maybe not reacting sometimes but reacting at others
0: uh I mean, yeah, we probably we probably were like that, not by design. I think we wanted the kids <laughs> to feel comfortable, but probably, um, you know, by the nature of us look, staring at them through the door, like, oh, take the candy, hey, you know, like we probably were pretty creepy. We saw some good costumes, though. So there was one girl who, my favorite was one girl who was dressed as a bag of popcorn, and oh, it was nice. like a really well-done costume. And I kind of felt... I kind of felt a bit bad because you really want. I, I love complimenting the kids on the costumes when they're really good. You couldn't really do that this year, but uh, love
1: the creative costumes. But did you guys hold up like numbers for for them for like a ten, <laughs> in like an NBA <laughs> slam dunk contest?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a good idea. You could that had like great you know great costume signs or you know stuff like that. But uh, it was cute. Like it was it was nice that we got anybody. You know, like I'm just glad that kids could come. And,
1: yeah, I'm just glad that, you know, they are able to have um, some form of Halloween. It's Even though it's kind of mm-hmm. uh, a different one this year um, with the lockdown, uh, I hope we don't see a spike in cases over the next uh, couple of weeks as people decide mm-hmm. to have their own little uh, Halloween party and, and get-togethers. Because I did see some people uh, dressing up and kind of, You can tell that they're going somewhere and these are adults so uh let's hope uh things don't look crazy in the next couple of weeks yeah yeah um so i have a new segment or a holiday theme segment if you will on the existentialist cucumber we're going to call it the five and 15 because it is curtis and i and we're going to be able to do this very quickly so it's probably like five questions in about 15 minutes or so. Um, I have it broke up in different categories from candy, music, characters and movies about Halloween. Um, so this could expose quite a bit into S- Curtis's psyche so uh, I hope you're ready for this Curtis. Yeah I'm ready. Okay so in the first category is candy. So I need you to choose one or the other. Um, so first up is Tootsie Roll, or Kerr's Orange Black, or also known as the Halloween Kiss candy. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I'm going to go with the Tootsie Roll. Like, the, the those Halloween Kisses are the worst candies they ever. Are, they are so foul, they taste like glue. What's that? Oh,
1: they taste like
0: paper paste. They are, they are, because they taste, they taste like paper. Like, they really do taste like paper. That's not hyperbole. And the Tootsie Roll, I know, like, Tootsie Roll may not be the most popular candy. And it is similar in texture and style to those Halloween Kisses. But it, I, I find it tastes like candy at the very least. It's just what people don't want. It, it crosses that low bar.
1: Yeah, and if one were to never had either of the candy and they had one for the first time, trying to ask them to describe the flavor of either yes. one.
0: Yeah. They're like, well, isn't it? It's like, like molasses-based candy or something I don't know yeah
1: it's it's but yeah it's you're scraping the bottom of the barrel if if someone's giving you that and like you're not even trying
0: at that point yeah um she you might just give me pennies you know might as well give me pennies oh no, definitely
1: okay let's move on to our next uh category which is music okay Curtis so Halloween song I need you to pick one Michael Jackson's Thriller or Fresh Prince DJ Jazzy Jeff's Nightmare on My Street. So, what do you think?
0: Uh Thriller for sure. And,
1: and I'll let you even compare the two music videos together, uh, so you can use that as.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like the Thriller video is directed by John Landis. It had a it had a massive story arc for a for a music video. <laughs> Huge. Um, and in fact, Heather and I today did a class, uh, like a Zoom class, on how to do the Thriller dance that that part where there's zombies between the vincent price narration and and then and then michael jackson breaking into the chorus again and there's that whole zombie shuffle it's got everything it's got like some air guitar it's got like you know the the sort of like the shuffling forward and then some snapping and uh of course the the uh (laughs) the the movement where he's got his hands he's a zombie but he's got his hands up almost like a werewolf and he does that werewolf sashay with his hands raised <laughs> yeah nightmare on that my street you know it's a fine as as you called it hickory dickory dock style rap you know it's it's kind of fun uh but it's no thriller
1: uh no dispute there well so thriller it is and uh you're right it's it's a, it's a it was a huge song for the time and like the biggest video at the time as Okay, let's move on to movie villains. So this is pitting up
0: nineteen eighties movie creatures, ghoulies versus gremlins. Um, I like, I love gremlins because uh, again, it's it's another one of those movies that sort of like can be a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie. Oh, you're right. Yeah, that's Christmas, true. Uh, the original one, and uh, that uh, Gizmo was just too cute you know like he was like he's kind of like the baby Yoda for his time I remember <laughs> you know everybody had like I think even my dad had like a gizmo like a little gizmo posable doll you know yeah, everybody right loved on. the gizmo that ghoulies we were talking about it before does have that classic toilet scene which I think so maybe maybe for like best scene that one <laughs> that scene is the best but I think overall gremlins is, uh, is, is so good
1: to here so really we're talking about spike in terms of the gremlins spike.
0: yeah he's the one who yeah he's, a, he's like the, the the mogwai at first he's kind of a bit of a dick and then <laughs> yeah you know when all the other ones turn because because what is it they get uh uh they 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 out after midnight yeah yeah they yeah. get fed after midnight and then uh or was it? They eat after midnight. Yeah, they, yeah, they eat yeah, after midnight. Yeah, there's no bright light kills them. Water makes them multiply, and eating after midnight turns them into into the gremlins. But arguably and, uh, speaking,
1: any time after midnight is after midnight. <laughs> you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. They don't. They don't expect you. They don't expect you to rationalize it. Yeah, it's really, it's kind of dumb. I guess if they said if they said not between midnight and six a.m. or something like that.
1: And we don't even have to get into time zone issues with with what what midnight you're talking about, um, but but I have to um, kind of comment on Ghoulies. If you ever get a chance to go back and rewatch Ghoulies, it is the most ridiculous uh, storyline. Um, it's these this group of kids go and they actually conjure them up. So it's not just the one creature coming out of the toilet. There's actually many of them.
0: I remember a lot of a lot of like black sort of goo coming out of their mouths and stuff like that
1: yeah yeah there was a a few of those creatures that were running amok in but sticking with the uh, movie theme let's continue on so this is actually a movie and curtis i need you to let me know what you think if this is truly indeed a halloween movie and so just give me a yes or no and the movie is the rocky horror picture show so think about that one um
0: hmm I'd say yes. Okay. Um, I, I I don't know if it's like a Halloween movie the same way that, uh, um, you know, a Christmas story is a is is a Christmas movie kind of thing. But like, I think like it's just it's got a Halloween vibe. Right, right, right. You know, it's the, the dressing up. It's the sort of like creepiness sort of thing. You know, and it's fun. So I think it's got a Halloween vibe.
1: Well, my thought is that Rocky Horror Picture Show is to Halloween as sound of music as to Christmas holidays, right? It's it's always shown during that time. Uh, Like, you're never going to see Rocky Horror Picture Show during the summer solstice or something like that.
0: Mm, Yeah, yeah. I think that's a a very good analogy, yes. Yeah.
1: Because there's other movies that have that... um, Sigma 2, which is, you know, like Love Actually, is it a Christmas movie? Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? There's there's all these things that are going on. Right. Um, That's right, yeah. I, I guess one other one would be uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas. Now, it did get released during the Christmas holidays. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, And so that one's probably more of a Christmas story than a Halloween one, even though it is Halloween Town trying to discover Christmas. So let's move on to our next uh, final category. So this is another character. I was going to say villain, but maybe not villain. These are probably tragic characters or just in the movie in general. Um, maybe this is the, could be the battle of sexes, though one is probably sexless. Or... Uh, in any case, um, Stephen King's Carrie, the character Carrie, or Hellraiser's Pinhead?
0: Uh I think the th- like Pinhead is definitely the more sort of um you know frightening character uh you know but I think I think I think I think Carrie I like Carrie because I think Carrie Carrie is is you know if you've ever been bullied in school or you know ever ever sort of like felt like uh you know you were be- you were being you know you went through a stage of your life where you were like kind of being disparaged and mm-hmm, right. you know carrie is very relatable oh, no no and uh you know i think uh i think that kind of makes it a more compelling character and like like pinhead is like you know sort of crazy powerful evil sorcerer type thing whereas carrie is like very relatable right with her parent uh pushing her to yeah. limits
1: um, where one's a, a horrible demon and the other one's just kind of like a, a haunted soul, if you will, with yeah. extremely great powers that, um, you know, push to the limit and just decides to go, run amok.
0: Yeah, but I don't think that she seeks out to, to do these things until she's kind of pushed, right? Like, I think, like, had right. she had a a less, less traumatic life, you know, her powers may have been remain latent or
1: you know uh, that's right because it's it's almost like the the mutant story where she gets stressed and pushed to the point where they awaken um but also pinhead is also a tri- bit of a tragic character if you kind of explore the later hellraiser movies i think there is like an origin story for him.
0: i haven't i haven't i haven't uh gotten that far <laughs> <in the> Hellraiser <laughs> oeuvre, To be you honest, mean, but... mean haven't uh... gone
1: down that rabbit hole yet you mean you also haven't read fan fiction <laughs> and and anything else that comes along with the Hellraiser theme? But uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. I, I think uh, we just gotta look into Curtis's yeah. uh, psyche with today's Halloween oh, five, 5 and fifteen. Um, but uh, I think that was kind of fun, and we'll probably do that more often. <laughs> that or we'll uh, we'll make Curtis crack. I hope we we don't. But
0: uh, yeah, there you go. It's the I feel so vulnerable now. (laughs)
1: Um, Why don't we move on to the headlines? Um, So starting it off the top, some tragic news. um, The reporting of the death of uh, actor Sean Connery, um, probably best known as the first real 007 for a lot of folks. Um, And uh, he was in his 90s, wasn't he?
0: He He was 90. Yeah, he was 90 yeah we'd also be so lucky um, so yeah i mean if you can make it to 90 that's you know you've done well
1: yeah with bodies of work that include obviously all of the james bond league of extraordinary gentlemen and the same um but he does have that one movie the rock uh
0: you know what I, I the rock is actually pretty pretty popular like uh i did notice on twitter like a ton of people were referencing that as their Sean Connery entry point. You, oh, you know, people right. who, are, who are younger than you and I. But really um, by
1: that point he was kind of mailing uh, it in.
0: I don't know. Like I I think he's I think he's been good in most things he's done. Like every like every sort of actor when you when you've been around as long as he he has. Uh I think there was quite a few sort of quick paychecks also on <laughs> yeah. his resume. Um but yeah I don't begrudge him that. No, no. The course course extraordinary gentleman comes to mind um but you know yeah I mean from Sean Connery uh to uh you know uh, um you know Indiana Jones's dad in the uh in the last crusade right um, uh, Henry Jones senior right they uh, uh I forget what his character's name yes that's right uh I forget what his character's name is but the character that he he uh, played in the Untouchables obviously I think it was Jimmy Malone uh, was, was uh was a Iconic role for him. uh Captain was it? Was his name in uh, Captain Ramius or what's his name in the, the Hunt for Red October?
1: Right, right. I feel like you're right. The Russian,
0: the Russian <laughs> sub captain with the Scottish brogue. Yeah, Scottish
1: brogue, Yeah. <laughs> and then there's also uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, of course, where he uh, plays. Uh, was it Quartermain?
0: Yeah, he was uh, Alan Quartermain in that. Yeah, a very, a very poor. Uh, a very, a very poor adaptation of the Alan Moore graphic novel.
1: Clearly, he did not comic study experience. the material at all, at least for the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure somewhere out there that autographed photo of Sean Connery signed by Roger Moore is probably going to skyrocket in price.
0: <laughs> you think the comic store guy is going to cash in on that?
1: Of course. <laughs> but why don't we just move on to the headlines? So... Uh, this headline also has much to unpack, um, just like any other headline that we review each episode. So this one goes, Billionaire Blast Gilligan's Island Theme Song at Neighbor in Petty Dispute. So the story is there. these are two extremely rich folks that um, live in what I can only assume is a gated community. Um, and the one neighbor, and let's just say neighbor A, Um, installed some type of art piece on their property, which is like this tall light-up glass installation, and there's like netting that seems to protect it, I guess, from birds flying into it. Um, But the point is the neighbor complained about it because it was blocking kind of their view of the ocean, um, called the city, and the city inspectors are also kind of complaining and saying they're violating um, city codes with that art piece. Um, So what does neighbor A do for retribution? He starts playing the Gilligan's Island theme over loudspeakers like aimed at his neighbors and in hopes of him dropping the uh, investigation
0: that's right on uh, on repeat
1: uh and it's just that perfect song because it's that really annoying sea shanty style song to it that really bothers one
0: it's 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 great it's a great theme if it's going to be played once before a Gilligan's Island episode. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And only then. Only
1: then. <laughs> and... But it's also the length of the song, yep. because the it's it's such a short song that you don't even have any break from it, because it just starts up immediately. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, it's just like, yeah, when it's that short, then it starts up again Uh was like like 30 seconds long or something like that. Yeah, that would just uh, drive me crazy. I, I think, uh, you know, as you know, Larry, um, probably, you know, watching Gilligan's Island as a, as, a, as, a, as a youth, there's two versions of the theme song as well.
1: Oh yeah, that's right. So the question really is, and it doesn't explain in the article, is whether or not he was blasting the original theme that says at the end and the rest or the later theme where they actually sing out the professor and Marianne because that's very key yes and because I, I don't understand even the, the later song just makes more sense like from from just a musical standpoint it it sounds better
0: yeah the cadence works the K ca- like it works with the rest of the cadence of the song plus it gives two <laughs> Two two very major characters, characters. Who are inexplicably glossed over in the original version. They're they're due and and they'd be so, so
1: screwed without the professor. I mean, like he invented everything to keep the yeah survival. The professor
0: like you know with the coconut radios and and whatnot. Like yeah, he was he was central to their survival for sure.
1: And you know that he probably created some kind of still for the Howells for their cocktails, right? Like so, he probably got paid handsomely.
0: Hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah for sure so I, I think I, I would if it was me, I would be more annoyed if, if you didn't know anything about Gilligan's Island they would be equally annoying and it wouldn't matter. But if you knew something about Gilligan's Island, you'd be more annoyed by hearing the first one over and over because you'd be like why did they say Anne the rest all the time? why could they not say the professor at Marianne? and it would just and and you'd be reminded of that constantly because it's a very short song on repeat. But how does
1: the neighbor A, the one that's blasting the music, like tolerate it as well? Because you, directly or indirectly, you'd still be able to hear the theme go over and over again, no matter how much yeah. of a fan you
0: are. I mean, or is he just like, I don't care if as long as they go down, I'll I'll sacrifice my sanity if I can bring them down with me? Because this guy sounds pretty petty. Oh well, yeah, the, these <laughs> these guys are billionaires that just want their
1: own due, but still. Gilligan's Island you know for any even an hour already 20 minutes
0: it's pretty it's 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 you know it's a funny story it's also kind of sad that people like that that exist but you know so let's move on to the next headline and
1: away from uh the USS Minnow so this you this next headline um kind of falls into the same category as like Tiger King with Joe Exotic so Uh, and it's one of those Florida man dot, dot, dot meme stories. So man mauled by Black Leopard after paying for full contact experience. So A, you paid for full contact experience, and now you're complaining that the cat attacked you. So Florida man who paid $150 to get up close and personal with a black leopard is now suing the sanctuary that made it happen after the animal mauled him instead of submitting for pictures and belly rubs. For one thing, this is a black leopard, panther, whatever you're going to call it. It's probably one of the most dangerous, if not the dangerous, big cat in the world. Like, uh, I, I've been to Kenya and uh, I've been on safari. And I've heard the stories of leopards like you hear stories here about, yeah, hippos and water buffalo kill more humans than any other animal. But leopards over there and that type of big cats, they just want to mess with you for fun. Like think about your jerky house cat that's now 500 pounds and muscle. So they will mess you up just for the heck of it, whether they're hungry or not. They're not even, like, territorial-wise. Um, why anyone would want to do that, especially if they say, oh, well, I'm an animal lover. Well, if you love animals, you wouldn't go to a personal sanctuary where these animals are being chained and, um, you know, provided for your own belly rub selfie experience. But um, it it is a weird story coming out of Florida. Um, the gentleman is mm-hmm. alive mm-hmm.
0: but got messed up. It's, and it's another story about somebody who does some something very stupid and then sues somebody for allowing them to be stupid. Exactly. Uh, I don't know. I don't get that. I don't get that at all. Um, I did have one uh, encounter with a big cat, Larry. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> it was when Heather and I went to Thailand, uh, I, mean, I think, three years ago. Okay. And, and it's actually kind of an embarrassing story a little bit um, because um, we decided that because we were reading our lonely planet and it said like, oh, you can go to this uh, there's a place north of Bangkok that has like a lot of temples and stuff and then you can also go and ride elephants and I just pictured myself like, you know, riding on an elephant looking very majestic uh, so I was like, <laughs> oh, we should do that so the, the, the cab driver that we had for the day, he took us to he was like, alright, and he took us to the to, to the uh, elephant riding uh, venue uh, which was pretty sad and I felt pretty bad about it afterwards. Uh, like I kind of wish I hadn't have done it. But the other thing that you got with your like uh, entry fee was you got to get your picture taken with a tiger. Oh. So they had this tiger and it's got this massive metal collar around its neck and it is drugged up on so much stuff. And oh boy. you know you, you you they they ask you to touch it so you put your hand on it. What And then you get your picture taken and it's just so doped up. And I was like really scared to put that my hand on it. So the picture is of me sort of like, like with my hand very gingerly on it, sort of sort of shying away from it. And then this really doped up leopard, like barely looking at the camera. And, uh, and I just felt awful afterwards. Like I just felt like I was, I was, uh, I had uh, bankrolled sort of a very shady exploitative business um and that was my one thing with and i was and i was so scared i wouldn't be paying for the full contact experience to be with a jungle cat i think that's insane well and that's the thing because
1: the cat here in question i don't think was even chained up it was just in its enclosure the guy entered and whatever triggered the cat yeah just we just started growling and just went off on him um whether it was just the the cat's breaking point or or whatever the case is like I, I get the sense that this cat was also bred in captivity i don't think it was drugged up like your experience just don't do it florida folks just don't uh moving on to the next and final story uh big story season two mandalorian premiere um very exciting. Uh, I was looking forward to it. Uh Curtis, what did you think?
0: Uh I I enjoyed it. I think it uh it, it picked up nicely where last season left off. Uh you didn't get to see uh much of a, the child didn't have a, a big role in this episode, but uh, the, the, Ma- the the Mandalorian uh does some pretty good uh um ass kicking uh, right off that right off the hop. So that was nice to see. Uh, there's some good callbacks. Uh, R, uh, an R5 unit who looked a lot like R5-D4 with a much better motivator.
1: Oh, yes. No, no. Uh, but before we continue, um, if anyone has not seen it, let's say spoilers from this point. So you might want to advance it the next three minutes or so. But yes, R5 makes an appearance with the um, burnt out plate on his head unit there. Um, just for a little uh, a little nod for the fa- Yeah, there's quite a bit of fan service in this episode. Obviously, with the return to Tatooine, Um, obviously there's lots of familiarity there, Tusken Raiders and whatnot. Um, But the the big thing is, is this episode they, the Mandalorian finds himself into um, this small port town, uh, mining town, and the uh, marshal, or kind of, is played by Timothy Olyphant, which is fantastic. Um, is donning dun 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 the Boba Fett, Boba Fett armor, um, which again, fanboys are probably freaking out and going crazy for it. Um, but obviously, he's not Boba Fett, but he explains this story about how he acquired the armor by uh, trading it with uh, Jawas, and uh, he's been protecting this small mining town with it. Um, and uh, Mando demands the armor back, um, since it doesn't belong to anyone other than Mandalorians. Um, but that poses a question when I was watching it, because it is Boba Fett, and I you got to think, how did the Jawas forcibly remove it from him? And I wouldn't think that would be possible. So my thought was, geez, times are tough in the galaxy far, far away. So I wonder if Boba Fett actually had to hawk his armor to the Jawas for survival because um, he is seen at the end, It uh, is the same actor at the end of the movie w- show when uh, Mando kind of um, on the speeder bike uh, going into the sunset. You see this kind of scavenger type character um, holding a gaffy stick and it is the actor. Jango Fett in the prequels um, and because Jeremy Bullock who originally played the <laughs> Boba, Boba Fett in uh, Empire and Return of the Jedi has since passed I think back in 2018 um, but that was my thought Curtis like, again whether or not right or wrongly but it was just did he have it hocked? Uh because how do you remove it off of the legendary bounty hunter Boba Fett and I'm sure the fanboys are freaking out
0: yeah, he hawked it. Yeah. I wonder if maybe he's just uh um trying to lie low because he doesn't have the he's not under the uh, the patronage of Jabba the Hutt anymore. Um you know and 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 Mandalorians, you know, like they 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 as we saw in the first episode, they tend to stay in secrecy or they uh you know or they can they can befall a bad fate, so Maybe he thought it was in his best interest. Well, maybe, but you, you
1: also have to. You just make maybe um, bring up a good point. So, during Return of the Jedi, the sail barge does get destroyed, but it's not like Luke, Han, Lando, Leia, and the gang go back and to Jabba's palace and torch the place. So, you got to think that Slave One is still mm-hmm. parked somewhere in Jabba's garage or somewhere that he could have went back to jumped on his ship and said, you know, okay, fine. I got... Times are tough. My my boss who normally pays me is no longer around. Uh, I got to get off this rock. But definitely maybe, looking forward maybe. to this we'll next season's... Uh, of Mandalorian. Um, can't wait till next week. So very exciting. Looks like it's going to be a... Um, it's going to be another great season because they just have the formula down. But Let's move on to our next segment. So very fun thing that we do here is the Existentialist Cucumber review. So we go back into the vaults and see a movie that we haven't seen in uh, many years. So this segment um, for this time is we go back to 1998 with the film The Big Lebowski by the Coen Brothers starring Jeff Bridges, Jeff Goldblum, Julianne Moore. Um, it's uh... I have troubles trying to Summarize this movie because it is quite the horribly complicated or, or rather almost, um, if you will, uh, you know, hopelessly complex plot that uh, <laughs> that happens to the dude. So the movie starts off with basically Jeff Lebowski, who's known as the dude, uh, is basically mistaken for a millionaire of the same name and seeks restitution for his ruined rug when thugs come to rough him up thinking that he is um bonnie lebowski's uh husband uh, who apparently owes um jeffrey treehorn this porn producer um, money down the road now um i haven't seen this movie in probably over 10 years or so but it was nice to kind of come back to it really had uh, a fun time with it reminded me how much oh, i really do like the movie. like the movie um love the characters um loved how it kind of flowed episodically where each scene just kind of was onto itself because it was just so so crazy story that's that's going on that's just kind of whirlwinning around the dude um yet you know the dude abides and he just kind of zens his way through um but uh, definitely had a good time with it lots to unpack about this movie um so what did you think there curtis
0: yeah, I'm I, again kind of like the Warriors. This is one of those sort of like cult movies that I that I love. So I've I've, I've watched it. I guess probably not, probably not in, in in five years, but I've watched it. I guess like a bit more recently, and 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 I went through a stage in my life where I watched it more frequently, um, and uh, it's just really great. And I think the thing that I really really like about it. Um, is that it, it, so, uh, it, it, it so it so brazenly breaks one of the cardinal rules of, of script writing and and that is that your protagonist is supposed to be farther along at the end of the at the end of the script than they are at the beginning of the script you know, not a, doesn't have to be in a good way, but they have to have learned something or something substantially has to have changed in their lives or something like that. And he's the same guy and he's living the exact same life at the end and he's learned nothing. And I, and, and it works. Like, you know, th- those rules are made to be broken if you can do it, if you can do it well. And I think this movie does it very well. Yes, and, and how
1: the use of bowling um, throughout the movie where as i kind of mentioned earlier it, it flows very episodically yeah um, and they use bowling as a transition from one crazy episode to the next um
0: yeah and it's always the same the same line sort of from the walter Sobchuk, who is john goodman's character
1: yeah and then they go yeah let's go bowling and it's like a hard cut time to move on to the next uh
0: storyline in the movie yeah and it works well yeah yeah like you know he's 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 seen like you know all kinds of like you know violence he's had violence like 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 bestowed upon him (laughs) he's uh you know his car his car is gets finally destroyed they finally kill his car you know, one of his, you know, he he suffers like some loss, you know, of a, of one of his friends or whatever. But like at the end, he's just completely the same. And there's this great character who's uh, who narrates a story that needs no narration because it's uh, it to, to to give a story like that narration uh, sort of lends it some 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 legitimacy, and this story has has none really, you know, by design. And that's Sam Elliott, who's like this uh, sort of like old Southern... Wanderer. Sort of uh, old Southern gentleman who yeah. narrates the story. And uh, and he basically says at the end, like, you know, I'm glad that dude's still out there taking it easy for all us sinners. <laughs> that's right.
1: Taking it for all the sinners. <laughs> and the crazy thing is he, he kicks off the movie, as you said, as the narrator. He does the voiceover at the beginning of the movie. And he actually... Yeah. shows up halfway through right halfway through the movie right halfway yeah yeah and 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 then suddenly he's in the movie and he's talking to the dude as if you know he is the narrator kind of breaking that fourth wall and asking the dude why do you have to cuss so much as if he's been along yeah. to the journey all along <laughs> um but it, it is a fantastic use of him but it, it's it, it's also interesting because he's also dressed in full-on. Like Sam Elliott spaghetti western movie as he was plucked and then plopped into this movie um, as, as this narrator. But I also want to point out how much of a cultural impact this movie has taken where you actually have
0: conventions. Oh yeah, yeah. People dress up in bowling gear and drink white Russians. Uh, there's There's so many good quotable lines, like so many um and and that's not true i would say of every cohen brothers movie like i think some of some of them are very spare on the dialogue mm-hmm. uh you know like they this one is not this one has a ton of dialogue and some very quotable lines and some great sort of minor characters who again don't really impact the story at all and are so memorable and i'm thinking of course of uh, uh jesus the uh the john Turturro's character yep um you know uh I think the uh, Jackie Treehorn, who's like the, uh, the sort the of uh, Porn producer. Renaissance man porn producer. <laughs> <laughs> I even love the Sheriff of Malibu. Oh, yeah, yeah. Stay out of Malibu. <laughs> Get your gold brick and ass out of my beach community.
1: <laughs> but I want to kind of explore the bowling again and how it's used in the film um, because mm. it's, it's the thing. It's the gathering point for the three friends. It seems to be also a safe spot for them in a way, because none of the other characters, like Julianne Moore uh, or Lebowski or or anyone else, mm-hmm. like the Nihilists, except for maybe they're outside when they when they have to fight. But um, they they use that bowling as kind of like a, a sanctuary for them and and kind of a break between kind of the storylines where. Um, they uh, they 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 take a kind of a, a small break into the world of the dude, but it's also interesting the fact that um, you never see the dude or Walter actually bowl, and Donnie's the only one that's bowling. Yeah. So it's interesting we, to well, see I... that they're not
0: bowling, but only Donnie yeah. is. And he's and he's and he's very good, Donnie. Like he's always getting strikes except for yeah the
1: the when he actually passes away in that evening he doesn't score a strike. You,
0: you, you pointed out and i didn't notice before but yeah that was uh...
1: yeah yeah so he's you so throughout the movie he's 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 bowling and he's throwing strikes he's throwing strikes and then there's this foreshadowing moment where he doesn't get a strike and even donnie like the character himself looks like miffed about how he didn't get a strike and that something is amiss there that's the bowling piece of the movie but another big standout about the movie is the music and i'm not talking about the score but just kind of in general the the use of music as kind of um, a vehicle to keep, to keep the story moving um, there's also like great mm-hmm. story of um in rock and roll history of of yeah. the end credit song which uh, T-Bone Burnett is trying to acquire for the movie. And the person... It's a cover of a Rolling Stones song, um, the kind of country, uh, folky style. And they wanted to use it. He didn't want to give up the rights to be used in a movie. And he said... T-Bone basically said, you got to come and see this uh, film. And so they showed him an early cut. And he's watching the movie. And all of a sudden, the scene where the dude is in the cab um uh, leaving Malibu after he gets the cup thrown at him by the sheriff and the Eagles is play are playing in the cab and the dude it basically communicates his dismay or his distaste for the Eagles and at that point um the guy that owns the rights like stands up and says here you can have the song and and apparently that, that's that's down in in rock and roll history about how they acquired that song for the movie it's it's quite a good story yeah they're
0: playing it's playing in the cab and they and and he's like could you change the channel like i i just hate the eagles man which is great because like you know he's kind of like a like like a like a California dude, you know, like you'd think that he would love the Eagles, but <laughs> the, the the fact that he hates the Eagles, but and then the cab driver loves him so much that he kicks him out of the cab. Oh, yeah, it was such a good good exchange.
1: But yeah, continue on the music because even the dude they allude to the dude's history as being uh, a roadie back in the day when he was younger um, as a career for the Metallica on the speed of sound tour. That's right. There's also the, uh, character of Uli who has the, um, mm-hmm. uh, like band, uh, in the movie. And the album that they have is basically, uh, a copy of man machine. Uh, yeah. what was it called again? Autobahn. Right, right, right. Autobahn. Yeah. It's and genius. you have flea actually being in the band for one thing, so flee from uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, and Amy Mann, who plays, um, I believe, Uli's girlfriend, who sacrifices the toe um, for the for the for the for the plot. That's
0: right, and that's I guess her only scene in the whole thing, right? Uh,
1: that that's right, right. She kind of shows up and she orders from uh, I think they were in IHOP yeah. or something like that, <laughs> but um, but there was no reason to have either of those two mm. casted. Um, other f- other than for their place in music. So um, I thought it was a kind of an interesting touch there. Um, and there's also the character Smokey, who does the bowling infringement and Walter pulls the gun out. Yeah. He is also a famous folk, country, honky-tonk singer in his own right. Um, but let's not forget, um, there's also a music video in this movie uh, during the scene where... The dude is drugged by Jackie Jackie Treehorn, and he has this dream mm-hmm. sequence, and it's this music video starring him and Maude.
0: Oh, there is, yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah, the, to um, uh, uh, Kenny Rogers in the Fifth Dimension. Um,
1: so you kind of get this impression that he's having like this weird flashback, I guess. Yeah.
0: Or he was. He's he's uh, drugged. Yes, that's right. Yeah. and uh, Maude Lebowski is in a in a Viking. You know, in like a in like a uh, a sort of like sexy Viking uniform, and uh, <laughs> they have this big dance routine. There's all these like girls dressed as like sort of like you know pin setters or whatever. Like, well, I think they had like pin hats of some kind, headdress of some kind, head head pieces. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was it was bizarre, but it was excellent. Like it was such a good interlude. And, and that exactly that
1: like, and you completely buy it as audience watching. <laughs> Because if you think, this
0: is exactly what the dude would dream up. Totally on brand. Totally on brand.
1: But I want to kind of touch upon a point that um, we were talking offline that uh, Heather brought up. And that is, The Big Lebowski is quite the dude movie. And if I guess if you go back and look at a lot of Coen Brothers, maybe they are very dude-centric. It is the 90s. But there, there aren't many female characters in the movie, uh, other than Bunny, Bunny, Bunny Lebowski, and uh, Maude Lebowski, who plays a very interesting character. um, And I I read in an interview um, that she, when when you when you watch her performance, she you think she's speaking with an accent, but it's she actually it's not. She actually calls an Mm -hmm. affectation, I guess. Yeah, like a posh
0: affectation. Right, right,
1: right. Like, you know, um, super rich, artsy character. But, uh, yes, there there are not many strong female characters in the movie, but it's also that it's interesting fact that everyone around the dude other than Donnie is, like, completely reprehensible. Mm, Yeah, yeah. And it adds to the chaos of, of the dude's story where... Uh, like they're just not really nice people (laughs) around the dude who's a zen master here um and
0: it is it really is yeah like they're very uh very yeah walter is very aggressive uh he's a nom veteran right um you know it's gun yeah guns are guns are uh, he's like a shoot first ask questions later kind of guy and he has like a massively inflated opinion of his intelligence uh <laughs> which gets him into trouble a fair amount and
1: and it's the whole thing about him not being able to let go about vietnam or his ex-wife right that's right where he's he's still jewish because she's jewish and he continues that storyline and, and it's it's really interesting how the character that's right follows. yeah
0: yeah so he is uh he he's he's that that uh and and they had a similar character in this in this regard in uh, the marvelous uh, mrs mazel it's the the it's the convert who's more observant you know to the to the to the point almost of of comedy than like in this case uh it would it's a it's a convert to Judaism who's more observant to an almost comedic level than, than like, you know, people, people who, who, who've been Jewish their entire lives who were born Jewish, you know, this, this, this guy is like a late convert and he's like, you know, hy- hyper, uh, hyper observant. And they have a character like that. I think it's a, uh, uh, uh Mrs. Maisel's uh, sister-in-law who converted to Judaism when, when she married, uh, Married her brother and is and and drives everybody nuts with her, uh, with her level of commitment to to, to the tradition. And that's kind of like what Walter's like.
1: But it's not only just the religion. There's also the scene where he's taking care of her dog.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. He's completely yeah. Like he's completely hen You know, like he's he's this guy. He's got this tough persona. He's got his own security business and all this kind of stuff. And he's completely handpacked
1: and it's also interesting how he's a friend of the dude's yeah. for his place.
0: Oh, yeah, like he'll pull a gun on Smokey, no problem. For the bowling infraction? Cross the line, toe over the line. That's right. Yeah, and this is how seriously he takes his league... The league games. If it was a right. league game, he might not have done anything, but because it was a league game, it counted in the in the bullshit standings or whatever they do. <laughs> he pulled a, a gun on Right, him, yeah.
1: You know? But it's also interesting all the, like you saying all the little characters that are in the movie Uh, i'll point out one and that is uh the dude's landlord who invites him to this art performance piece that he's running and all three of them go right like it's dude walter donnie oh yeah (laughs) that's right yeah yeah and it's this and and it's not like just a mention and it's just them talking to santa no it's them actually watching this performance talking about something that's happening in the story and it's this bizarre one-man art piece that's going on
0: they do yeah 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 they all yeah walter shows up in a suit like they take it pretty seriously
1: oh yeah yeah and and they're they're, it's just it's just bizarre it's like it's non-spoken word but it's like interpretive
0: dance i guess is that what they call it yeah yeah it's like like a dance cycle or whatever. He's wearing like, he's dressed like a, like a sprite or a fairy or something. Yeah. And, and like even Walter, when he's like, cause he's, you know, he can't help, but like keep hatching his plans. Like, wow, that's going on. But even he says like, we'll do it after this. You know, like, Even he's gonna, he has respect enough for it that he's going to stay for the entire performance. <laughs> that's right. There's also that other
1: character, the private investigator, another character that, just kind of shows up out of nowhere and a the private investigators yeah. hired by bunny lebowski's parents That's at right, the knutson's right right and to kind of bring her home i guess in a way um and he's just following the dude around
0: yeah and he's he's great too because he's he, he thinks that uh that the dude he is playing both sides right um, is playing everybody. Yeah. He think he, he thinks he thinks the dude is, is like is like playing 3D chess. He
1: has his mastermind.
0: <laughs> and
1: the,
0: the dude has no idea what's going on at all. But but but
1: to your point, that's the thing, right? Like as the hero in this journey, the dude doesn't really change his position in life from the beginning of the movie to the end. Like he's still the dude. Yeah, maybe the dude abides.
0: Yeah, oh, there's just so much good, so much good detail in this movie.
1: One more thing I want to touch upon before we um, uh, sign off on the Big Lebowski is the interesting use of time or out of time, and that whole concept is, is throughout the movie, right? Like, let's first look at when the movie takes place. Um, they filmed in 1998, but the movie itself takes place. Um, in the late 80s, I guess, shortly after uh, Desert Storm and um, Saddam Hussein's
0: in like, it. S- like Saddam Hussein gets mentioned a couple of times.
1: In the music video. He's
0: in the video as yeah. the as the guy who's who gives you your shoes at the bowling
1: alley. <laughs> That's right. But it, it's just the use of time and out of time where if you look at a dude's character, he himself and his attitude is not something you'd see in kind of every day. Mm-hmm. Um, Walter who's also stuck in Vietnam stuck uh, with his ex-wife also has that concept of being out of time.
0: Yeah, I'm not too sure. I don't I yeah, I don't know why they they I mean it was it was it was relatively close to the time maybe when they started filming that it was the yeah, sort of that time, I don't know.
1: Well, I, it was you know, the the late you know, late, late 80s that happened. But I, it's interesting because it, going back to Sam Neill's character, again, it's like this character that's plucked and put into this time era of that they are also out of place, right? So I don't know, maybe it's a whole theme of having all these characters being displaced out of time i, I don't know there must be something to it i'm sure someone smarter than me can probably explain it or someone can write a paper yeah <laughs> about that whole concept but you, you do see it like he they they, they 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 smatter
0: it throughout the entire movie yeah that could be yeah it's a good theory i i uh quite enjoy the coen brothers I you know mo- most of their movies um and i'd say that this is probably my favorite coen brothers movie
1: I I would I would agree with that. I I do have a soft spot for uh old mm-hmm. brother war out thou. Um you know, based on the uh based on the Odyssey and it's great use of music there as well yeah. and uh great little adventure story with some great characters in that as well. Oh, great
0: music. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, yeah. Big Lebowski right now is uh, available on Netflix. It's streaming currently. Um, you should go catch it. Yeah. I think Curtis and I yeah. re- both really enjoyed the review. Um, and uh, next time, so I that, Big Lebowski was my pick, Curtis. So next uh, review will be yours. Um, so I'm sure it'll be another exciting one. Uh, but let's move on to our video game segment. So just a few headlines for this episode. Um Let's look at this one from the World of Warcraft. Um, I haven't played World of Warcraft since it first came out, but Curtis, I know you still frequent the game once in a while. But apparently 16 years later, World of Warcraft players finally found Mankirk's wife in hell. So this is one of Warcraft's longest-running kind of jokes or kind of inside jokes, if you will, uh, about the character uh, Mm Mankirk and his wife um so you, you could probably be the better to explain the whole myth here
0: yes uh it's like from the original like vanilla world of warcraft um i guess when it, it, i th- i believe it took place in uh in the in the barrens uh which was a a zone for like uh horde characters uh leveling up so that would be it works Tor- Torin, which are like minotaurs sort of like the monster guys um and so mancrick was an orc who uh, uh gave you a quest and uh i think was searching for his wife and i think you find his wife's i think you find his wife spotting and he becomes quite disconsolate. yeah yeah you, you yeah, find you, you find an orc
1: dead orc woman and it's labeled beaten corpse. beaten corpse
0: that's right yeah and uh and i don't know why this particular it didn't it did like when i did it like when i first played it it was just like a means to an end you know to get some like golden experience points i don't know why it sort of like captured the imagination of Of the of the wild community warcraft players but it became an inside joke like it became a very you know this is pre-internet memes right like yeah but it became it became i guess like whatever version of internet like i guess on like the blizzard like bulletin boards or whatever it became like a like a, like an inside joke, and uh, and 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 like Blizzard to their credit, yeah, they 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 will they will run with those with these fan inspired inside jokes, and and, and then and Crick himself um, when they did the Cataclysm expansion, which total which remade sort of like the original uh, uh, continent, uh, uh, the you know Kalimdor and Azeroth. Uh, and 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 you know revamp them and redid the quest lines stuff. So his quest sort of takes place like the Mancrit quest takes place sort of after that original quest, mm-hmm. and he is uh, a lot more um, of a, of an active. He has a lot more agency in this quest. Like and I guess he's getting vengeance on the um, uh, I forget what the creatures are. They're like quill boars, I think. The quill boars who killed his wife and he's got like a big sword and a, and a flag and all this kind of stuff. And he helps you kill them and stuff. So they've kept him around and he's, and he's like turned up like a couple of other times. So I'm glad that they've <laughs>
1: continued. And yeah. finally, had some closure, apparently in, in the Catalyzm expansion, they I guess they created this spot for him and there's actually a monument to the dead wife. And it was given a name. I think they named, named, named her Ol, Ol, Olga at that point. Um,
0: yeah, had, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um but yeah, you don't you never got to interact with her, which I guess now you you I guess you right. do or. So well, apparently
1: in the she's tr- she's now an NPC trapped in Warcraft's uh version of their afterlife called the Shadowlands. So um apparently yeah. the, she's there. And you can go and chat with her and maybe yeah, she's part, I'm part glad of the story. I am they
0: keep uh, that, that that they keep it up that they keep up these things
1: well say what you will about Blizzard like Blizzard makes really high quality to try
0: to cure my COVID blues blues. with a little Uh, bit of TNA. and I got a lap dance from a woman in black pantyhose and now I'm getting swab shoved up my nose he said, just kind of I got a contact <laughs> trace yeah, from the brass rail.
1: 16 years is a long time for finally to kind of have a payoff, especially in a game. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's kind of curious. Like, World of Warcraft was not the first MMORPG, it's probably the biggest now. But, you know, what about games like EverQuest? Like, I guess some older ones?
0: Oh, a lot a lot of them are still going um, in various forms. A lot of them have gone free to play. Hmm. Um, I'd EverQuest, EverQuest Two, maybe I don't know. Uh, I'd have to check. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that Dark Age of I, I noticed Dark Age of Camelot is still online, and that game is, is ancient. Yeah, that's like, old. You know, I was I was playing that like years before World of Warcraft. I guess there's some people who still are invested in it somehow. Uh, but I mean, yeah, the, when it comes to the paid. MMORPGs. It's World of Warcraft and Final Fantasy in North America. There might be ones in 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 uh, in Asia that are still going, but, uh, but World of Warcraft, Final Fantasy fourteen, and then I think everything else is like some some mo- some version of free to play. And I think even WoW and Final Fantasy fourteen have have very limited free to play models. Like you can play like up to level right. I think like in Final Fantasy, you can play up to level sixty for free, but you can't join a guild. You can't, you know, right, right, you right. You can't do a bunch of stuff.
1: A lot of the com- com- community type things that you would one would do.
0: But yeah, World of Warcraft has like really, really stood the test of time, and yeah, still coming out with expansions. And yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, you know what? I, I actually forgot Final Fantasy eleven is still going. Which was their the first Final Fantasy MMORPG, and came out with with a, with I think new content relatively recently. Oh, right on. So I think I think you know I tried playing I actually tried playing it recently and I couldn't I couldn't it's just too old and clunky for my liking but like I think there's people who who still absolutely love it.
1: Well, there are people that just hang on to the community as hard as they can, right?
0: But I'd be interested to see if oh, and the Lord of the Rings Online is still going. I just got an email about that okay. uh, um everquest 2 i think it's still i think it's still i think it i think it's still running on some server somewhere i think you can still well, play i'm it.
1: sure because like everquest back when it first came out was so huge like it was mind-blowingly big people were jumping onto it like having elvish weddings and whatnot but it, it really kind of bonded a huge community together
0: yeah it was it was quite big yeah yeah um yeah warcraft kind of really sort of you know at at its absolute height like warcraft was was massive and uh right yeah no no for sure i think i think like you know the fact that all these other ones like EverQuest 2 or what what which i think came out around the same time as world of warcraft have gone to have either gone fairly obscure or have gone to like complete free-to-play models and World of Warcraft has been able to like maintain that sort of service paid service model for 16 years or however long it's been. I think it's is a testament to the game. I don't play it anymore. I played it up until the till the the most recent expansion that's live now. So I've only not played it for a couple of years. Um, you know. So I, it it had, it had uh it had taken my money. <laughs> for, for like well well over a decade
1: and to go to blizzards credit like they're they're so good at listening to the community mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. that that's that's how they kind of hang on to it and it keeps growing um the next headline i wanted to kind of talk about I brought this up only because, like, the news is one thing, uh, but it's just the ensuing death threats that always happen. So Cyberpunk 2077 um, was announced that it will be delayed. Um, not too much. Like, it'll be available the first week yep. of December.
0: Yep. It doesn't take much. It doesn't take much to get a death threat these days. <laughs> that the whole the whole death threat has been cheapened. It has. By, <laughs> by overuse. By, oh, by over By overuse that they're overused and they're under fulfilled like how could you even be how how seriously can you take them anymore like this is it's so it's so ridiculous i mean obviously you do have there are yeah you could be angry you know, about the you, game right we joke about it i mean i know that that, that you know it, it, it can be serious but like Death threats over a, the delay of a video game—it's—it's it's insane.
1: And, and it's not even like a, a long delay. We're talking—this is a delay measured in weeks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what I mean, like it's not months or there's a indefinite
0: delay or whatever. But still, like it just doesn't take much to get them. And uh, and like I think the people who are who are issuing them, like the like you know the people who are issuing those death threats for Cyberpunk getting delayed they're not really issuing death threats. They're essentially just saying they're disappointed that it's getting delayed. Exactly. But because of the ubiquity of death threats, that's the method that they've chosen to to voice their display. <laughs> you could threaten to kill them over the over a video game getting delayed a couple of months or whatever.
1: And you know, I, I only brought up that article just to trigger you. So perhaps maybe uh, down the road, we can do a uh, a supercut of you complaining and, and screaming about people doing... Um, Unnecessary death threats for silly things in life, but um, let's go to um, the uh, the next headline, which is um, how PlayStation Five in its pre-sales pre-sales right now is doing such a good job. Like it it is basically, uh, I think the stat is it is outselling um, PlayStation Four within the first twelve hours of release of the pre-sale for PS Five. Uh, has outsold ps4 in the first 12 weeks
0: yeah i think so yeah and that's
1: you know whether or not that's explainable because of the time of how well we can do pre-sales now and how well equipped they can do to accept pre-sales but i find that i don't know if that stat is kind of misleading because um because the PS4, by any means, is not a flop. I don't think it was not an anticipated one. Sure, the PS5's anticipated, but I, I, I don't know how, you know, that stat could be read into. But I think it was still worth noting um, that it, it's there, there's this big demand for it. Uh, I'm still gonna wait for mine, but um, it sounds like uh, it's it's doing a pretty good job. And and whether or not that's a barometer of how well it's going to be doing against the Xbox or um, we'll have to see. Uh, uh, but one thing I did do is, um, and this is a kind of a note for everyone out there who has PlayStation 4 with PSVR. Um, right now there's a website uh, available that you can register your serial number for your PlayStation VR on PS4, and they will ship you a free adapter. And I'm not sure how it's going to interface. I think it's basically a new... Box. So that for those that have it, knows that there's a box that goes from the head unit uh, in between the head unit, uh, the PS4 and your TV. So uh, apparently that is not compatible to have the camera work. So um, for those that want to continue using PSVR um, onto PlayStation 4 without on um, five without use buying new hardware, um, can register for this and apparently they'll be shipping that out. So. Um, in anticipation of, of getting a PS5, I, I figured okay, I'm gonna jump on this and, and registered myself for uh, one of these units. Um, but uh, other news that came out of PS5 was um, from Ubisoft there is a list of games that will not be backward compatible. So, um, I, I'm, I'm glad that the PS uh, VR is going to be some pa- backward compatibility, but this list probably will anger a few folks, especially if you're a fan of. The Assassin's Creed uh, series—you um, could probably go out and search for that list yourself. I don't have it in front of me, but it looked like a pretty extensive list mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of games that uh, um, will not work um, right away. Now, whether or not they just didn't want to patch it, or there's a, a technical constraint, but that seems to be uh, the reality for many of these uh, games for PS5. What
0: about uh, what about, what about uh, Drake's Fortune?
1: oh i'm the, uh, not sure about that one
0: the uncharted games surely surely all the sony games will be
1: oh I, I i'm I'm sure they would i'm sure they'll issue a patch or you know a digital version that you can download will still work perfectly fine for it but if you're a fan of Assassin's creed
0: that's all right i've already i've already beaten uh, cool. odyssey
1: well, there you go. But
0: <laughs> I don't need to play it on the PS Five.
1: Yeah, but also, it's not exactly everyone's gonna get rid of their PS Four. They'll probably still connect oh, it. Uh,
0: as soon as I get my PS Five, it's uh, kicking it to the curb. Oh. I still have my PS Two. I don't throw anything away. I have a Sega Saturn.
1: Oh, nice. <laughs> like I, I don't either. I our cottage is where old video game systems go to die. So I, I have our not play not PS One, but the original PlayStation.
0: Mm-hmm right yeah yeah
1: still sitting at the cottage and uh i went to the lglx uh, video game show um last year i think pri- so this would have been before the final fantasy 7 demo was made publicly available and they had a booth there where you can li- sign up line up and play through it and i was telling the guy i was playing through um this would have been uh two summers ago uh final fantasy seven back on the original playstation and he, he also asked me ps1 i said no we're talking playstation i, I and i explained him to him that in order for my unit to work i have to put the disc in turn it on and actually flip the entire unit upside down and that's the only only way that the the, the unit will actually play games it's quite hilarious so those <laughs> so those that know about this <laughs> issue or this bug uh you know He he gave me a, he gave me a nod. He goes, oh, I I totally know what you're talking about. Bring back some memories. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And this closes out another episode of the Existentialist Cucumber. Thank you for listening. And thank you if you're listening on Spotify. um, Hit that follow button and uh, let your friends know. See if they're interested in listening to our ramblings. Um, So until next time, talk to you later. And sometimes a cucumber is just a cucumber.